Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. I'll make a start and just pray. Jesus, just thank you that um, as we turn to your word, I thank you that your word, as I shared last week, leads us into an encounter and experience of you and i just pray that this morning that as we turn to your scriptures that the eyes of our heart would be illuminated we would see not just new information but we would see you and we'd see the reality of the world we're part of of where we're seated and that where we live from we just pray that it's not by my fancy speech or by some ability for us to hear and decipher what I'm saying but it's by you Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit just have your way communicate to our hearts reveal what needs to be revealed to each one of us this morning that we might know you more in Jesus name Amen, Amen. so we're going to carry on with the so I started last week our latest rule of life practice which we're looking at the scriptures so we've, we've talked about rule of life in general and then we've looked at um, the idea of Sabbath uh, and the rest that, that comes with that. And then now we're looking at what the place of the scriptures, of reading the scriptures, the place that has it in our rule of life. And that idea of the trellis that um, guides us in the same way a trellis guides a vine in its growth and enables it to bear fruit and enables it to remain in the vine. That this rule of life practices, this practicing Sabbath, practicing reading the scriptures, practicing prayer and fasting and things we will come on to. They are a guide that enables us to, to abide in Jesus, to know Jesus better and to bear fruit. And fruit, significantly, that is that grows and remains irrespective of the season of life we're in. And I think that's a really, really important thing with this. That as we practice these practices, as we do these things, our relationship with Jesus and the fruit we bear on that relationship isn't seasonally dependent it's not based on well this is a really good time for me with jesus right now or this is a really difficult time or this is a good season of life for me right now or, this is a difficult season of life these practices having these this rule of life enables us to know jesus in the good and and enjoyable moments and in the hard and challenging moments and in both those moments and everything in between to bear fruit and to be fruitful and i think that's jesus's intention jesus was fruitful in every stage of his life as he walked on the earth because he wasn't dictated to by the seasons of what came and what didn't come so he was he bore that fruit and i think practicing these things having this rule of life in place this trellis in place it means that we can do the same we can be remain abiding in jesus with jesus conscious of his presence with us and bear fruit um in season and out of season all the time so i want to look at so I started last week looking at reading the scriptures and talked about how it leads us to encounter with Jesus. And I want to kind of take that and develop it a little bit further um, and talk about how in the same way that we read the scriptures and, and they lead us to a, a deeper encounter with Jesus, they also lead us into seeing a world that's around us, that we are uh, an unseen realm that we deal with and we operating whether we are conscious of it or not conscious of it that we interact with with stuff that is not seen that the bible teaches us that that everything that's made is made from something that's not seen 
that, that we're dealing with physically things we can smell and taste and touch and hear and see but all of that has its origin has its formation in something that is unseen and we there's an unseen world and the reading the scriptures lead us into that relationship with Jesus and enables them to encounter Jesus but it also enables us to see that unseen world and then able to understand what's going on in ways that we perhaps don't always understand and see and therefore developing a regular rhythm of reading Good alliteration there. A regular rhythm of reading um, the scriptures enables us um, to actively engage in in our Bible reading, in our Bibles, in the scripture. Enables us to do that and therefore it becomes an essential component of our lives. That it's not just a, a passive listening to or a passive reading, but that we are actively engaging with what is being said. Whether we listen to it on an audio Bible or we read it um, in the written form, whatever it is that we are intentionally engaging and actively engaging with words that are in the scriptures that are spoken from another world. Mm. The, the scriptures that we have as a record of God's interaction with people is God speaking from an unseen world into a seen world. And therefore, when we engage with the scriptures, we are engaging with words that are from another place. Mm. And therefore, if I don't engage with these these scriptures, if I don't engage with the, the Bible, the words that are written down there, like I said, I'm not going to engage and encounter with the one who's spoken those words. Mm. I'm not going to engage with the God who orchestrated those words in the first place, but equally, I'm not going to engage with the world that he is speaking them from. That, that unseen realm, that, that, those heavenly places, that these are God relating to human beings in the seen realm from the unseen realm and therefore that regular rhythm of reading is essential for me to ensure that I'm not just engaging in the seen world that I can taste smell hear and see and touch and all that kind of stuff but I'm engaging with the God and another realm that is unseen and it enables me to do that the style referenced the, the perhaps the most Significant verse, I think, in what we're looking at in this particular time of looking at the scriptures, that it says in John 5, 39 to 40, it says, you study the scriptures diligently. <coughs> when he's speaking to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And that, in a nutshell, is it, isn't it? That the scriptures are a doorway into us encountering Jesus. Mm-hmm. That the scriptures are a doorway into us encountering Jesus and at the same time a doorway into us encountering that unseen realm from which everything is made. That um, in our dealing of any situations we're facing with, anything that we are physically dealing with, whether it's health, whether it's finances, whether it's relationships, whether it's um, everything we dealt with with Neo, those things are not do not have their origin in a seen realm but therefore if i'm just tackling stuff in the physical here and now without dealing with stuff in an unseen space without dealing with stuff in prayer or in worship or in praise or whatever it may be from a place of rest being seated with him then i'm going to be limited to the resources i have in this scene realm but actually everything that occurs is formed begins has its origin in that unseen realm and the scriptures give us a doorway into that it's almost like um, the scriptures are like a, a, a cloth that we use to, to wipe away the dirt that's on a picture or on a, 
window that enables us to see what's on the other side or enables us to see what the picture is there. That, that thing has always been there. That thing is always operating. That, that picture has always been formed, but it's covered in so much dirt, so much dust and so much grime that we need the scriptures just, just to wash away, to wipe away the dirt and stuff that's there that we can then see what's always been mm-hmm. established. Yeah. Or perhaps another more apt one when we talk about a doorway, that it's like the scriptures are the thing that cuts away the vines or the branches that perhaps cover up a doorway that's hidden, that we didn't know was there because it's been so well hidden and stuff, and it cuts it away and enables us to walk into a room or a space that, that has always been there, but that because it was blocked, we didn't even know it existed. And I think the scriptures are that doorway. It leads us into encountering Jesus and engaging with the world that he lives in and he operates from. Because it talks about in... in Ephesians 2, it's a very famous passage of scripture, but it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works as anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And we love the good works, but we love the fact we've been made in his image, and that's beautiful with his workmanship, and that's amazing. But it all starts from this line in verse 6. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ, and made us, that, it, that it's a historical event that happened. It's that picture that's covered in dirt. It's that doorway that's blocked off. That The room on the other side of that doorway exists. The picture behind that dirt exists. But the scriptures enabled us to see what was always there. We are seated right now in how many places? Yeah. Whether I'm having a good day or not a good day. Whether I am or had like a, an amazing set of positive circumstances or not. Where I'm seated hasn't changed and that's what the scriptures allow us to do not only to see jesus to see the one who is seated on the right hand of the father not only to see him and encounter him like jesus said the scriptures are for it leads us into that place of encountering him coming to him but also leads us to a realization of actually this is where i'm seated Mm. i am here but so often we try and navigate with the dirt on that picture or they're trying to navigate with the, the vines and the branches covering that doorway and the scripture comes just to rub it off. Actually, that's always been the reality. Yeah. You've always been seated there. You've always been in that space. But as engaging with and having that regular rhythm of reading of the scriptures just means it's like that cloth that kind of wipes off the dirt from the picture and we just see, Man, I'm, I'm always there. I've always been seated there. Or that cut in a way that actually I can always enter into this experience of what God is like and this experience of what he wants me to do. And the scriptures just lead us into and encountering a different world, a different place. The scriptures, I said, are words from another world. They invite us in to engage with Jesus, but also engage with an unseen world. The, the disciples kind of almost hit the nail on the head when they said, People were leaving Jesus because of some of the stuff he said. And their, their response to him was, where else do we go? Who else has got the words of eternal life? They caught this idea that what he spoke just invited them into something that was like no one else was talking about. Yeah. And it's that same thing that as we engage with the scriptures, as we engage with the Bible, it, it's like this invitation in to go, 
actually this is it isn't it doesn't matter what i hear on the news doesn't matter what i hear on social media doesn't matter what even the doctor or my friends or wherever it may be that the words we're turning off the thing that invites me in is this jesus opening up this doorway this window to go this is the reality of it and the disciples caught that in in the way they caught it it's like where else do we go we've caught something here that's all we want we want this life that's on the other side of this thing and therefore they, they stayed and remained with him there's so many passages but the the scriptures just give us that window that doorway and i just um one of the verses that that's been particularly prominent but also speaks to this moment i think that the idea that, that the scriptures open our eyes and in two kings um it says um it's talking about when you've got elisha and his servant and they're, they're, they're facing this massive army and and the servant's really nervous. And in verse 14 of chapter 16, I think it is, it says, Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God, when the servant of Elisha, arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And you, we, we, we face that. That's the dirt of our everyday existence. The vines and the branches just hide stuff. It's like we see this stuff and go, oh my goodness me. What do we do? What do we do in this situation? What happens now? Because from what I can see, what I can hear, what I can smell, what I can taste, what I can touch, based on the, the limits I have in this world, what on earth do we do? In this dark moment, what on earth do we do? And then Elisha says in verse 16, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That that wasn't the bringing of something in. That wasn't that when he prayed, he didn't say, God, I just pray that that you just bring these chariots in. That wasn't what he prayed. He said, I just pray that he may see. See what? What's always been there. That he prayed that the servant might see the, 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 the mountains being filled with chariots because that's what's always been there. Yeah. And the scriptures do that very thing for us. They are almost that, that very tangible example of actually they give us a window in to see what's always been there. Mm. It's like that rubbing away the dirt on the picture or that cutting away the vines in the doorway. It allows us to see and step into what's always been there but without a regular rhythm of reading our eyes stay blind our picture stays covered the doorway stays behind the vines and the branches but a regular rhythm of reading and engaging with what is being said just leads us to a space where we just see things differently we just see things the way that they actually are and it just changes how we approach situations Elisha wasn't fearful not because he was braver or because he was more um, spiritually developed or because he was a better person, but because he saw what was always there. That some people we know look completely illogical in certain situations because they're so aware of what God is going to do. They're so aware of what's happening that they can look arrogant or blasé or just like they're not bothered. Like Jesus countless times is asleep, doesn't look concerned because he sees the resource that's available because he has a regular rhythm of reading the scriptures jesus read the scriptures and those reading of the scriptures enabled him to see who he was but also to see what was available to him 
And it's the same thing for us. I want to finish. I've gone well off my notes, but we've, we've hopefully enjoyed some of this. Um, I want to finish with a bit of a strange story in this account. But it just, something just popped in my mind when I was preparing it. And I just, I feel like it's helpful for us. And it's in Genesis 28. It's a famous story, but it's in Genesis 28. And it's verse 10. And I'm just going to read it and I want to pull out two thoughts from this thing. It's the same idea of being, reveal what's always been there. And it says in verse 10, Now Jacob went out from Bathsheba and went toward Haran. So he's, he's, he's moving, he's following um, where God's told him to go. And he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth, and it reached to heaven. And the angels of the God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie, I will give you to, I'll give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and all your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. It's a wonderful, wonderful account. If we take a broad picture of it, Jacob's description of it himself was, God is in this place. And I didn't know it. So what had the dream done to him? The dream had enabled him to see what was always there. It enabled him to encounter God, like Sai talked about last week, encounter the God who brought him and led him this far, and also encounter what was going on in the unseen realm. That there was angels moving up and down, up and down. There There was activity going on, and Jacob saw in this dream, what was happening around him. Mm. Now, the next bit I want to pull out is interesting because it's not, it's more an image that I think will help us in what I'm talking about here. And it's just fascinating because it says, as he goes, so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun set, so he's going to bed. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Within that kind of Old Testament narrative, stones, as we know, with the Ten Commandments and stuff, have a symbolism to, to the spoken word of God, that they engraved the words of God onto stone tablets. Mm. Um, the, there's some, in the New Testament, there's some negative connotations to the use of stone in terms of to enforce the law over the life of, of the the Jesus book, but there is this idea that the stones have this connection with what God has spoken um, to to humanity. The words that come from an unseen realm and become very tangibly placed on a stone in this seen realm. That the Abraham that Moses encounters God on the mountain and comes down 
from the words that the God on the mountain spoke and he engraves them on stone to take them from this unseen realm where he's encountered God and he brings it and tangibly makes it be seen in this physical realm on stone tablets. When I was just reading through this, just felt God say that the, the action of Jacob taking that stone and putting it at his head is, is interesting. And it's, it, it, it's a symbol of taking the words that God has spoken, taking the scriptures and placing it at our head, placing it in our thinking, placing it in a space where it's not just something that happens over there, but actually it's something that we rest our mind and our thinking on that we rest and settle into what the scriptures say that i know for the one for those of us who have been reading the bible in the year thing which we're going to go do again next year um it's been beautiful just to be able to almost settle into the scriptures and just meditate and think on those things and that is what god's inviting us to do to take the scripture to take this the words he's spoken from an unseen realm and let our mind be filled with them let our mind rest on them. That therefore, when I start, we start to see situations and circumstances, we start to see them from an unseen perspective, not a seen perspective. We start to see them as chariots that fill the mountainside, not the chariots that are coming to oppose us. We start to see them as angels ascending and descending, not just a dry desolate place there's nothing around but actually Jacob waits and goes this is the house of God this is the gate of heaven that we see things in a different way because the scriptures start to shape the way we think and the way we see stuff and therefore it starts to change the way we are and interact and I know there's been lots and lots and lots of words brought around the situation for Neo and the last phase in some weird ways, was, was, was just as hard as every other phase, but was really, really hard. And the main reason it was hard was because there, were, there was this threat of delay and this threat of possible overthrowing of certain decisions and things like that. And so we had this, we are going through the, this process and, and we kind of, I would say probably towards the end of July, we've really felt that there'd been a shift in in what was going on with with Neo in terms of where people were standing, where people were, the, the decisions they were making, they were saying we want him to stay with Steve and Susie and all those kind of things. And it was wonderful. But then weirdly from July onwards, it felt like nothing positive, that sounds a strange way of saying it, but nothing positive happened. It felt like it became like we had this big win, and then it felt like actually nothing positive is going on now. And it and it was confusing, it was challenging, we just had to dig in and obviously people supported us and all that kind of stuff. But it felt challenging. And we didn't really know what was going on. And actually we felt very much like that Elisha sermon where we're looking and we're going, actually, we've had this win, but actually now it's like everything's just gathered around us. Like what on earth is going on here? Like it feels like actually now we're in a worse situation than we were before. And I can't remember whether she had a dream about it or just felt the press of it. But then Susie kind of felt a real importance to look at um, the parting of the Red Sea. And when Moses went to, with the children of Israel to part the Red Sea. And so we read it and we looked at it. And God just really used that scripture to reveal what was going on in an unseen 
space in a, in a way that what we looked at naturally was like this makes no sense whatsoever god what on earth is happening we had this big win and now it feels like we're surrounded yeah. now it feels like everything's going against us and in favor of other people what what is happening here and he used that scripture and just in that space just revealed and it's fascinating when you read it that god almost baited the egyptian army into coming to the children of Israel. That if you read it, and I'll just summarise it, but you read it and it says that God took them to the edge of the Red Sea and then the, the Egyptian army have penned them in. So you've got the children of Israel, behind them is the Red Sea and on the other side of them is the Egyptian army. They are literally trapped yeah. in this situation. Why has God led them that way? Because God said to me, I could have led them a different way. didn't have to go through the sea. And I was like, so God, why on earth did you lead them that way? What, what was the point? It's almost like God baiting in the army to say, come on, let's come and do this. Because his intention, and he says, because I want you to never see or hear from this army again. Because if, let's say, for example, God had led the children of Israel a different way. They led them, I don't know, not, past, not over the Red Sea, but around the mountains and through some different way. The Egyptian army could have followed them the whole way. And therefore, whilst they may have fled Egypt, they would have spent the rest of their life with a thought of, what if the Egyptian army come and get us again? What if they come and get us again? What if they come and get us again? So why did God lead them through the Red Sea? Because he wanted them to get to a point of realising when they come through this way, you're never going to see or hear from them ever again. He actually says that. He says, I want you to know you're never going to hear from them or see them ever again. And so he baits them in. He draws them in. And to such a degree that he draws them right into the Red Sea. Into the same way that he's made for the children of Israel. He leads them into that, that space. And then we know that then the children of Israel get across and God then closes the sea and it washes away the whole of the Egyptian army, everything. And it's actually a line that says that the only thing the children of Israel saw was, a bit graphic, but was dead Egyptian soldiers on the shore. So they never saw or heard from the Egyptian army ever again. They only ever saw the death of that thing. And so God kind of spoke to that and said that, that you might feel like you're being drawn in. You might feel like the enemy's drawing around you or the circumstances aren't going in your favour. But actually what's happening is I'm drawing in these appeals and these delays and the, these arguments and all that kind of stuff because I want it to be, the situation needed to be concluded, concluded. Yeah. Not temporarily concluded. And then you think, okay, but what happens if this happens? What happens yeah. if this happens? Yeah. And I say that because then we, it was, it was completely dealt with. Every appeal route has been closed off. Every possible avenue of argument has been shut down. And I wouldn't have wanted that. I wouldn't I. I wanted it concluded yeah. at the beginning of August. That's what I wanted. Yeah. But God's going to know that we need to just draw this thing in. We need to go the Red Sea route. We need to go this way because we need to close this thing down forever. Mm. And I'd have much preferred to have been finished in August, not in October, yeah. but much better. I'd be much preferred to just have victory after victory after victory rather than victory and then a massive pause where it felt like defeat and then victory. But God knew what he was doing. And I say all that because obviously it's fresh in our mind, but actually it's another beautiful example of God using the scriptures to reveal what's actually going on. Mm. And therefore, to be like Elisha and Elisha's servant, I can say, okay, I can see the armies of the enemy here, but actually around them is this army that I didn't see before. Or like Jacob, it's like, I'm in this space, and actually I thought it was just a desert, like a desert, deserted environment, but actually, God, you're in this space. Mm. And it helps us to see 
what he is doing and see him, but also see what's going on in the unseen realm. So Jacob putting that stone at his head to go to sleep, I think is a, is a beautiful picture for us. The idea actually, as we have a regular rhythm of reading and we intentionally engage with the scriptures, that it enables us to start to see things from an unseen realm perspective, start to see things as they are, not just as we can smell them, taste them, hear them mm. and feel them, but actually see them as they are. And it gives us that strength, like Elisha, to go, actually, no, it's okay, there's more fours than against us. Mm. Do you not see that? And it just brings us that confidence. And it was, as hard as it was, that, that passage of scripture from, from, from the Red Sea was a, was a source of confidence and support for us because it meant, okay, God, this is hard, but I feel like I know what you're doing. Mm. I feel like I know what you're doing. And you, you made a way, we're walking through that way, and I know what you're doing. And it's the same kind of thing with all the things we face. It can look like it's just this thing after this thing, but it's God, let me see it from your point of view. And to do that, let's put the scriptures at our head. Let's give our space, ourselves time to think on and chew on these things that we might begin to see and have that doorway open from all the vines and the branches, have that picture cleared, have that kind of way, our eyes open to see him, but also the things that are working in the unseen realm. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would take the thoughts that I've shared this morning and you would just inspire each one of us to engage with your Bible, your scriptures afresh. No matter how diligently we engage with them up until now, I just pray that you would give us a fresh hunger and thirst for them. You would just help us to desire, to want to put them in that pictorial way as the, the support for our head as the thing that supports our thinking, as the thing that supports our, our way of viewing the world. You'd help us to have a regular rhythm of reading these scriptures, engaging with them. That you'd help us to, to see things, to see you first of all, but also to see things in the unseen realm. Just like Elisha and his servant, that we'd see there's more for us than against us. Just like um, Jacob, that we'd realise that God is in this place and I didn't even know it. That you'd just give us that that clarity as we engage with your scriptures and see things from your vantage point in jesus name amen amen